If you have your scriptures, I would invite you to look in the Gospel of Luke. And this is an amazing story because in this story, of, in this narrative, uh, there is a comparison that's going to take place here. There is going to be a, a, a challenging, uh, uh, we do this and we do that kind of thing. Uh, and, and I want you to pay attention to it. At the same time, there is a choice to be made on how to treat certain people. But let's look at it in detail and see what happens in Luke chapter 7. And it reads as follows. Listen to and for the word of the Lord this morning. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell to his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, "Uh, if this man was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. (laughs) Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to tell you. Go ahead, teacher, said Simon. Then Jesus told him a story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts who, do you suppose, loved him the most after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger amount, the 500 pieces of silver. Jesus said, that's right. Then he turned to the woman while still speaking to Simon. Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water or wash my, to wash my dust from my feet as it is the custom. But she washed them with her tears and wiped them with her, her, with her hair. When I came in, you didn't greet me with a kiss. But from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the common courtesy of offering me olive oil to anoint my head. But she has anointed my feet with rare and expensive perfume. I tell you, he turns to the lady, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown so much love. But for a person who is forgiven little, shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The man at the table said amongst themselves, oh my gosh, OMG. 
Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The word of the Lord. It is amazing that even yesterday as we were celebrating the wedding, and as I moved throughout town in this beautiful town of Mableton, I mean uh, of South Cobb County, Mableton, Austell, Marietta, and Smyrna, and now with the beautiful colors that are changing, it's getting that beautiful uh, um, palette. And I'm amazed at how God's grace comes to our lives, even in the seasons, not in a subitous, sudden manner, suddenly, boom, 32 degrees, let's praise everybody. No. But even the seasons demonstrate God's grace as they come softly, as they come gently. Because even though this morning was the coldest one, hey, I know that tomorrow my day off is going to be warmer. So I may hit the mountains. But it is that's how amazing God shows God's own grace in nature. But sometimes, going back to to what I was starting to say uh, before the weather got my attention, was the fact that when people ask me, this happens, when people ask me, where are you, or, or what do you do? says, well, I'm a pastor. Oh, really? Because I've seen my behavior already, and they're suspicious already. Really? And, and I tell them, yeah, I'm a pastor. What kind, what, so where do, I'm a Presbyterian pastor. You know the question I get asked a lot? Once I say that, you won't believe it. Are you guys Christians? Yeah, are you guys Christians? And, and it, was, it was amazing when a girl uh, uh, from Pennsylvania, Eastern Pennsylvania, even asked me. I know. I mean, that's originally, it was founded by Presbyterians. Welcome back. So, so it was amazing to, that, you know, that they don't know who we are. Then when they ask us, and what is that? Well, we are a Christian brand. We are a religion of the a kind of Christians, uh, and, and we call ourselves Presbyterians because what? What's the main thing that comes to your mind? Quickly. Elders. Elders. Who cares? And we're identifying ourselves with a way, with language, that maybe 30, 20 years ago was, was viable. Everybody was interested because everybody knew what Presbyterians was. Everybody knew what Episcopals were. Everybody knew what Methodists and, and Adventists were and, and, and all these other groups, Church of God and Assemblies and all that stuff. Everybody had an idea. And, and, and so you, but today when you say, well, I'm Presbyterian, the conversation stops there. It literally stops there because a lot of people don't even want to, what is that? They don't want to sound dumb or ignorant about it. So unfortunately, the conversation stops right there. I wonder if we would find other way of sharing to the community that we are a part of. Instead of just saying that we are Presbyterians, I wonder if there is another way of us identifying ourselves to the community. And that is precisely what I want to address the following month, for the following four weeks. We know that we are a people of grace, that God's grace has been poured in our hearts uh, and merited as it is, and we respond to God in gratitude. That we know. But is that the way we tell people, who are you, Presbyterians? 
Well, this following month, I want to share with you four things that you can tell them that they won't get freaked out, but that maybe will elicit a conversation, a good, healthy conversation that may bring them closer to Jesus, whether it is in this church or any other group. The idea is that you become an ambassador of who we truly are. We either identify ourselves as members of an institution or we identify ourselves as member of the family of God. You choose. But in the following month, we're going to be talking about people of grace and forgiveness, people of grace and change, people of grace and opportunity, and people of grace and gratitude. And by the way, that last one, grace and gratitude, hold on to your pockets because that's our first Stewardship Sunday. So get ready to think. Don't, don't get lost now. Where's Doris Grimm? Don't get lost now. <laughs> Hold the to that one. But you see, so who are we when they ask us, who are we? Are we Presbyterians? Are we Christians? Are we religious? Well, if I go online and I ask Google, who are Christians? When I go away, I find Christians are homophobics, judgmental, condemning, unaccepting, backward thinkers, anti-education, racist, self-righteous. Uh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's real. Uh, we are better than others. That's what we think. We have it all together. Others are bad, negative. Others are not to be trusted or loved. Exclusive. We are exclusive, angry, and dismissing. Others think we're ignorant, lazy, and uneducated, emotionless, irrational, unreasonable, and unfair, while yet others think we are conniving, opportunistic, and taking advantage of others while we abuse their weaknesses. Amazing. So it sounds that the church of the 20th century, the actual church of Christ that was alive in the 20th century is almost unrecognizable. They see it corrupt. They see it self-righteous. And when I'm saying they, I'm talking about the majority of our society outside of these doors. Can you believe that? That's the reality. But in order to facilitate an easier, a, a more true identity of who we are, instead of members of an institution, but we're members of a family. We're members of something that is alive and well, something that is talking about positive, good, and healthy values, something that wants to build, redeem, and reconcile, not something that wants to divide, destroy, and put us under. So that's what we'll do. Who are we as people of grace? Who are we as people of forgiveness? You see, because both are inseparable. We had the practice here of the little coin of love and forgiveness, forgiveness and love. Well, love is nothing but God's action of grace. And they are totally inseparable. You cannot separate God's grace. And first of all, God's grace is a gift. It's a gift. You cannot earn it. And, and uh, I eavesdropped in today's Sunday school downstairs. Because I was preparing a salad. So I eavesdropped. And yes, faith is required for salvation. But guess whose faith? Not yours. Because your faith can't even move a mite. A little teeny thing bed bug. 
but God's faith who was given to you as a gift, who enabled you to believe. It's a gift from God. It's not your faith. You don't even have some of us doesn't even have faith to get up in the morning. What are we talking about? It's the faith of God that is a gift to each one of us. And yes, that is what grace. So grace is a gift. It is sufficient. It is enough. What does sufficient mean? Enough. Enough for whom? For God. You see, that the issue is that we feel so guilty, that we feel so ashamed, that we have a, this, this ill feeling or ill thinking that we have to do something to satisfy God. Yes, God is gracious to, towards me, so now I've got to do my part. For what? If God's grace is sufficient, it is sufficient to take you here in this life into the next beautiful experience with God. It's sufficient. Oh, that desire to do something is not to add to your salvation. That desire to do something is a response to what you're receiving from God. Don't confuse it as your cooperation with God. Please. Then forgiveness. Forgiveness is something that, again, is a gift of God. It is total and unconditional from God towards us. The problem is that we don't want to receive total forgiveness from God because we want to pay the price. We somehow, is that being a masochist or something like that? We somehow feel that we have to atone ourselves. And yes, that feeling comes from hell. Not from God. That feeling comes from our own initiative to satisfy ourselves and say, God, you saved me. But I did this, and I did this, and I went to church for 30 years, and, and I went to McDonald's for 35, but never became a hamburger anyway. Uh, but you see, forgiveness is also a gift. It is total. It is unconditional. It means that God, listen to this, that God is no longer blaming you. You get that? God is no longer blaming you. Tell somebody to your left and to your right, God is no longer blaming us. Tell, go ahead. God is no longer blaming us. God is no longer blaming us, my goodness sake. So if God is no longer blaming us and God has forgotten every sin and throw them to the bottom to the bottom of the ocean, the deepest part of the ocean, and I add, and then I put a sign, then he put a sign, and no fishing. Now go in there, get that stuff. It's done with. It's forgiven. He no, that is the only attribute of God, thinking about this afternoon's class, that I think is, it's, uh, we, we kind of understand. God forgets our sin. God no longer is thinking about it. God is no longer reminded of it. You remind yourself. Don't do that stuff. And if it comes up, wash it away with the blood of Jesus. Wash it away with the blood of Jesus. Just remind yourself it's been forgiven. Don't carry it any longer. In our story, we find Jesus 
who's going to have dinner with one of the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees was not really a friend of Jesus, as we figured out in the story. Uh, he kind of invited Jesus to dinner because he wanted to get some stuff on Jesus. You know what I mean? I'm just saying. He wanted to get some stuff on Jesus. He wanted to get some goods on Jesus. And, and Jesus was going to give it to him. I like that. Because I would do too. You see, uh, the, here is, he's going to this Pharisee. Now, there were some Pharisees that were friendly. Now, who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were the religious leaders. It was me. How many of you are elders? Let me see your hands. It was you. It was me. It was us, the Pharisees. And because we had it all so well understood and so well packaged in our first century Judaic experience, this Flippo rabbi, oh, well, he's a rabbi. I got to give it to him, the title, because he obviously sat with some rabbis. He must have earned the title. Even his enemies would acknowledge the title, so, you know, he, he had it. This crazy guy talking about destroying the temple, healing people, forgiving people. Who does he think he is? And he's going to come and, and, and turn upside down my neatly packaged 21st century Presbyterian, I mean, 1st century Christianity. So well packaged and organized. He's going to throw it all upside down. So he don't like Jesus. Don't be fooled. He don't like Jesus. But he invited him for dinner, and Jesus went and had dinner with him. But there was a lady. Apparently, Jesus' reputation has spread out. I'm looking at the chocolates. Jesus' reputation has spread out. And, 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 and they knew that he was a good guy, that he was forgiving, that he was kind, that he was gracious. Well, the Pharisee was more of a legalistic, condemning, judging, seeking to find errors, looking for weaknesses to accuse, being hypocritical and exclusive, thinking that he's better than Jesus. But then the woman comes in and begins to wash his feet. Now, my text says she came behind him. You have to imagine that this Pharisee apparently had some money. There were different dining arrangements in the first century. And this may have been one of the most opulent ones. Can you imagine a round sofa? A round sofa with a table in the middle? Just imagine that. And people would recline on the sofa in one side, and everything was in the middle because the table was in the middle. You weren't sitting in a table. You were reclining in a sofa on your side. And that's why the text says she came behind him because his feet are extended. If the table is here, he's reclining. His feet are extended out. And therefore, she approaches him from behind because all of the guests, their feet are outside of the table. So she's washing his feet and cleaning them. Now, I think she may have been at the door. Uh, first of all, it says that she kind of knew the house of this Pharisee guy, right? I mean, I don't want to create any rumors here. I don't want to say anything that may not be there, but she kind of felt very comfortable. She knew the address. She knew the exact GPS location. Nobody asked her, why are you here? We have an exclusive party. Maybe she was part of the party. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Jesus is there, and the Pharisee reacts. But he reacts quietly. You know, he's looking for some dirt on Jesus. He's going to find some dirt because Jesus just gave it to him. If this dude was a real prophet, look at look what he's. If he was for real, if he was for real, he would know what kind of woman is washing his feet. Ugh. That's one reaction to the woman. And what was Jesus' reaction to the woman? Kindly. He accepted the washing of the feet. With grace and love and humility, Jesus allowed that, as our text says, women of ill repute, of bad reputation, immoral, prostitutes, say other texts. And Jesus allows gracefully to have a woman of that nature be his friend be his disciple, be his tender, be his servant. Well, the other guy is having every reason in the book to reject, to point, and to move away, and to move away. He had every reason according to his packed religion of the first century. But Jesus offered grace and forgiveness. He offered salvation. He offered acceptance. And he offered peace and love and a new community to hang around with. Jesus stopped blaming her. He stopped the guilt and helped disappear the shame. He restored her. He restored her respect. He restored her integrity and her dignity. And above all, her relationship with God cares about the Pharisee if you're okay with God and Jesus. You see, we are to be bearers of grace and forgiveness. We are to be proclaimers of restoration. We are to be callers of reconciliation. And Jesus reminds us not to judge others or we will be judged. Not to condemn others or it will come back to us. But to forgive others as we have been forgiven. Paul reminds us that instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Jesus Christ has forgiven us. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making God's own appeal through us. And when we speak for Christ, when we plead, come back to God not to be judged, not to be condemned, not to be put under the scrutiny, but to be loved, to be showered with grace, to be blessed with forgiveness, to have the opportunity to have a grace that changes, a grace that opens doors, and a grace that allows us to respond in gratitude. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for calling us your children, empowering us to be your ambassadors, and having us sent to this world 
to be known not as Presbyterians only, but as people of grace and forgiveness. People of grace and forgiveness. While others may want to be identified as people of hate and law, you have given us an identity of people of grace and forgiveness, for which we thank you. Amen and amen.